Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. Welcome to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. It's official. This summer, Plum and I have been bringing season to your ears for an entire year. Feliz cumpleaños to us. Sometimes our episodes feature short interviews with local chefs and farmers, and some episodes lean into those longer interviews with food stars and cookbook authors like Ina Garten and Marcus Samuelson. But the last Thursday of every month, we head into our studio on the campus of Gateway Community College in New Haven, and we open up the phone lines to talk to you, our listeners. I mean, those hours go by in a flash. They're fun, and we always learn stuff from you. Connecting with all of you, voice to voice, it lifts us up. We love knowing that you're listening and that you have thoughts and questions and recommendations about the best places to eat and drink in Connecticut. Ahead this hour, we're celebrating our first year of Seasoned by sharing some highlights from past live shows. To give you a little bit of a hint on how challenging live radio can be, on our very first live show, celebrity chef, our guest, Michelle Regustus, was forced to join the show in a less than ideal setup. Michelle, uh, you are where right now in your house? So <laughs> I'm sitting under my desk in my office because, Plum, it's not funny, because I just of. got a warning on my phone that it says severe tornado in this area. Take shelter now in a basement or interior room in the lowest floor. So I am just sitting on the floor under my desk. Well, we, we want you to be safe. So we appreciate that you are multitasking, talking to us and seeking shelter. But now, no worries. Ahead. The tornado held off and the show went off without a hitch. And we talked to Michelle about what it's like competing on those Food Network shows and how she prepares. My first television show ever, ever was chopped. And I literally couldn't find a knife to bone no. this fish. I couldn't find it. It was just nowhere. And I ripped a butter knife out of the wall that was behind me. They have these knives on the set. And I didn't care. And they called me out for butchering this fish. But you know what? I, I'm going to do the whatever job done. I to do to win. Yeah. And, you know, it gets your feet wet for doing these shows after now it's probably my 15th competing show. So at this point I'm not nervous anymore, which is kind of fun. Now I just try and like enjoy the journey of it and win. <laughs> I love that. You know, for a show specifically like chopped, I've always wondered, like, do you say, okay, I'm going to open up that picnic basket and there may be something like green Skittles in there. And I've got to figure out what I'm going to do. Like, do you study you? How do you prepare for something like that? No, so actually you don't. It's funny you ask me this question because the first time I ever did Chopped, I was praying for one thing not to happen, and of course it happened. And my <laughs> prayer was, please don't let me open this basket and go blank. I'm in a restaurant every day of my life, cooking with different ingredients every day. But when you open that basket and you're like, uh, what do I do with this? And yeah. I think my first basket was watermelon, knockwurst, sweet potato, and I don't remember the other thing, but like I made a sweet potato hash with a watermelon salad. Like, what are you going to do? It's pretty, it kind of comes to you basic, but I did run around going, my strategy because I went blank was I'm just going to grab everything I see that I like and, and think about it as and I'm running back to the table and come game plan at that moment. Even though you look like you know what you're doing, a lot of us don't really know what we're doing until we get back and just start. 
cutting things and it kind of flows in. I got to say, Michelle makes it look easy. We loved our live show celebrating apples, not just because Amy Traverso is just the best person to talk apples with, but because there are so many great apple farms in the state. Let's hear a little bit of that show. So, Amy, you live in Massachusetts, but your heart clearly belongs to the Nutmeg State, right? Connecticut? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. I grew up there. I grew up in Windsor, Connecticut, and um, very fond of my home state. Do you have any memories growing up in Connecticut of apple picking or being drawn to apples, apple orchards, apple cider donuts? A hundred percent. We were an apple picking family. It was like a very consistent ritual. I would say my home orchard is Belltown in Glastonbury, which is just a remarkably beautiful piece of land, like these kind of mini rolling hills. Like it's Mm. a fully, have you been there? It's like, I have not. Have you been there, Chef? Yes. Rolly. <laughs> Absolutely. It looks like a movie. Like for me, yes. you know, it kind of reminds me of almost wine country-ish when you look at like places out in California, yes. all the hills. Yeah. It's really cool. Totally. It's like a lot of little hills in this one farm. And so you're kind of taking the tractor ride out to go pick and you're just getting these little views of, you know, seeing up over things and then going down into a little kind of holler and then going up again. (laughs) Oh, it's just great. And they make fantastic apple fritters. So that was a huge part of growing up. And my grandmother made the best apple crisp, which my mom then made. And it's a little different from the typical apple crisp. So yeah, I definitely was very fond of apples. For me, it's like American. It's it's apple pie, Mm. you know, it's delicious. Apple crisp. Fantastic. What was uh, like your the thing about the apple crisp that kind of really set you off that your grandma used to make? So she, so this apple crisp and it's in the it's in my book, which is the Apple Lovers Cookbook. Um, okay, do you know what page? Because I'm literally oh, leafing it. through it right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, I'm going to get you there. So the difference with this is unlike the kind of oat topped, you know, apple crisp, mm-hmm. right? That you probably no. This one has the topping is just flour, sugar, an egg, butter, cinnamon, and a little baking powder. Interesting. So, there's just nothing. There's no liquid. There's no oats. The texture is almost like a cross between cross between a cookie and a biscuit. Mm, I like that. Delicious. I like that and idea. Every, I mean, that, it's so funny because you think about apples and people. I don't know if they fully understand how versatile the apple can be. You know, it can be dessert. It can be savory. There's so many places mm-hmm. all over the board with it. You know, and I think the different varieties also kind of play a role in that. Wouldn't you say, Amy? Absolutely. Now, there are about 7,000 varieties grown commercially wow. uh, around the world. That And there are really far more than that, but they range so much. I mean, some apples have flavors of berries. Some taste a little bit spicy. Some taste kind of green and vegetal, like the Granny Smith has almost that like green pepper flavor. Right. Um, some are very lemony. And so you really can, you know, if you think about foods that you might squeeze some lemon into, you know, if, if you kind of broaden your thinking about apples, if you have a high acid apple, I have a great recipe for like a brisket that's braised in hard cider with green apples and it works perfectly. Wow. And I thought beef and apples, but it really works if you're using like a high acid apple. Maxwell is on the line. Maxwell wants to talk about Blue Hill Orchards. Maxwell, how are you? I'm doing good. I just want to say that Blue Hills is great. I really enjoyed their uh, Macintosh apples. And I know they also send some of their apples to the New England Cider Company also in Wallingford. And they make a great product, too. Very cool. You're absolutely right about that. And I'll tell you what, Macintosh apples are one of my favorite apples as well. Amy, how do you feel about Macintosh apples? 
Love them, love them. The thing to know about them is they're very tender, so which means they cook down really quickly. They're great for cider and for applesauce. Not so great for apple pie. The flavor's <laughs> awesome, but you end up with kind of a very soupy apple pie. Not to turn your my nose up at it, because that's actually one of my grandmothers used to make apple pie with Macintosh. And I love I loved her pie, but it's it's not the sort of solid slices that you might imagine in an apple pie. But boy, is it a good tasting apple. And just for eating fresh too. Wanna jump to one more quick call before we get out of here. I, I see this one. Uh it's Pat from Stonington. Pat, what you got? Well, I just gonna say I have to agree with uh, Amy about seeking out the rare breeds. And once you've had a, a cold carmine de uh, Sonaville, it's literally life changing. Wow! I like everything about apple season. I'm literally coming home from Clyde Cider Mill in Mystic, and uh, just the smell of the cinnamon and the and the uh, <sighs> smells of pie crust and the apples. I mean. What's not to like about this uh, time of year? I want to go hang out with Pat. He nice. sounds like fun. Yeah, you're this, uh, fun. <laughs> this sounds great. Pat, what's your favorite rare breed of apple? Carmine de Sonavilles or a good uh, uh, Ripston Pippin is probably top mm. of my list. Mm-hmm. Wow, how about that? Thank you, Pat. And while Pat thank is, you very much. Thank you. Call again. While Pat has mentioned, he shouted out, where was he? If he was in Mystic? Stonington. In yeah. Stonington. Yeah. Uh, we just wanted to shout out some of the folks who recommended places on our Instagram oh, page. Yeah. Best Apple Orchards, according to the CT Public Instagram page. Lyman's. Great plus spot. Best Cider Mention. Bishop's. Harb's. Scott's in Glastonbury. These are all fantastic places. Support your local apple places, man. Apple orchards, support yeah. them. You know? I, I have brought my children since they were very little to Silverman's in Easton. That's a great Shout spot. out. Yeah. Shout out to them. And then the best uh, cider donuts, Roger's Orchard and Stu Leonard's. Stu's, Give huh? Give it for Stu. How about that? Amy Traverso, it was such a pleasure talking to you about all things Apple. Thank you so much. It was really fun to nerd out with you guys. (laughs) You're the best. We had a lot of fun with you. I can't wait. I'm going to reach out to you and send you a picture of my inside-out apple pie. Oh, my God. I can't wait. I got to make that. (laughs) We heard a few apple orchard shout-outs there. Everybody knows Connecticut has some of the best apples in New England. Now, how about another food we're famous for in the state, particularly in New Haven? Of course we're talking about pizza. In April, we celebrated the life of Gary Bamonte of Pepe's Pizza. New Haven pizza historian and all-around great guy, Colin Kaplan, was our guest. You called in with your fond memories of Gary and your picks for great local pizza and your support for the legislature, making pizza the official state food of Connecticut. Let's listen to a bit starting with Ron from Glastonbury. Well, my son was going to school in New Haven and he says, Dad, you have to try a different pizza. And he took me to bar to get a mashed potato pizza. Oh, and yeah. a lot of people, a lot of people cringe with that, but I think it's great with garlic and onions and whatever else you have on there. And also, he now lives in D.C. and took me up to Columbia Heights, and there is a pizza place that has a big sign outside that says New Haven style pizzas. You're seeing it all across the country now, Colin. I mean, in pe- our nation's capital. That's even, right. Apparently. How about that? I mean, is it a style that people are? kind of starting to lean to? Is it a normal thing? Or has it always been there? You know, it's amazing. So bar is now, you know, it's now a tried and true restaurant. They've been around since 1991 and 1995 making pizza, but they're the new kid on the block in so many ways. And their mashed potato bacon pizza is what people know them for, you know, but now you can go to a hundred different towns and cities all around the country. No kidding. From coast to coast. I've got a list. I've got a map of New Haven style pizza. There's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hope for people who left New Haven. Let's talk to Richard and Dave. Richard, welcome to Season. What you got for us today? 
Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I'm 73 years old. My mother went to, uh, lived in New Haven, went to school there. My grandfather knew Frank. That's where I learned to eat raw clams. I was probably five or six years old. We got special service because my grandfather knew Frank and when we would go there to visit. So I'm very grateful that for that experience. And I think about it often. I really appreciate you taking the time to take my call. Of course. A lot of, a lot of good memories. Well, thank you, Richard. Richard, thank you so much. Richard, can I ask you a quick question? Yes. Do you believe that... Our state yes. food here should be pizza. Yes. yes. Richard is right. You're in, Richard. You're Happy's in. pizza. That's it. Thank you. Richard, you're a treasure. Thank you. We appreciate you. Yeah, Richard brought up the, the, the origination of the white clam pie, which was that mm-hmm. when Pepe started it, it was actually a menu as an appetizer. They had clams in the half shell, and every pizzeria in New Haven offered clams on the half shell as an appetizer back in the you know 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and it kind of ended in probably in the 60s and 70s. So that's how the white clam pie started. It's a great pie. We actually have one here in the studio. I don't know if there's any left. It's sitting on Montesal side, so it might all be gone it, right now. I am not going to tell you. Okay, well, <laughs> <laughs> you can't have it. Let's talk to Suzanne in New Haven. Suzanne, welcome. How are you? I'm great. So um, I live in Westville, and I think we have, like, the best kept secret oh. in New Haven, oh. uh, which is Ernie's Pizza. It's a family restaurant. It's been there forever, and it's just perfect. The pizza is perfect. What's so perfect it's about it? Everything. I mean, I like a real crust. I don't like a thin crust. So it's mm-hmm. the crust is crusty. Um, <laughs> the toppings are just delicious, fresh. Um, he just really knows what he's doing. I'm going to try Ernie's. I've never had it, Suzanne. I'm definitely going to give it a try. But before we let you go, i got to ask you. We're just taking our incredibly of formal course, poll. Yes. Uh, she yes, knows. Yes. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Suzanne. Have a See great rest Ernie. of your week. Colin, Ernie's, what do you know about these guys? My life started with Ernie's. It's the first pizza I remember eating. I grew up on Ernie's. It's a family place for my family. And Pat, who's Ernie's son, is the only guy making pizza. They're in their 50th year of business this year. And they are the most consistent pizzeria that I have ever been to and ever will have. He's known for his mozzarella pie. He's known for his sauce. He's known for all the combinations he's, he puts on. And he's the nicest person. I mean, this it, everything that you just heard is true. Ernie's is like, it is Westville's best kept secret, and I will take you both there. Let's go to Jeremy and Mystic. Jeremy, how are you this afternoon? Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. First off, I want to fully endorse the uh, idea of Connecticut being having pizza as a state food. Here, here. Attaboy, Jeremy. Here, here. Thank you, Jeremy. There we go. Thank you. Here, here. I also saw the uh, assigned in Vermont all the way up to Burlington for New Haven style pizza and actually was very solid because I stopped and had some uh, huh. very, very good performance from a place called Felino's uh, and a really good brewery in the place called Fiddlehead. So nice. shout out if you're all the way up North. Um, Excellent. But I wanted to uh, talk about my local pizza scene. Well, first off, we're famous for mystic pizza, obviously, which mm-hmm. has improved since, since the movie came out. <laughs> nothing to write home about. Um, <laughs> If you're looking for Greek-style pizza, Angie's in Mystic is, is a much better bet. But when you get to, like, a New Haven-style mangoes, wood-fired pizza in Old Mystic Village is over-the-top fantastic. Like, really great spot right off the highway. Definitely, definitely worth a stop. I go every Wednesday because they have a wine-down Wednesday promotion where you get bite you buy uh, pies and you get a bottle of wine. Look at that. Yep. So good stuff. But uh, I love... Love pizza. I'm a you know, Connecticut guy, and, and I think you can't go wrong almost anywhere. 
around here. There's just great pizza all over, and I love how people they have their spots. You know, I've never heard of mangoes, but now I'm going to go now. look for mangoes, and I'm on the eastern part of the state for sure. I can't yeah. wait to find it. We appreciate it, man. Thank you very much. Oh, thanks for having me. I guess you ever heard of that one there, Colin? Mangoes? I sure have. I was there, and I have a funny story. I was hanging out in Mystic. I love Mystic. Mystic is great food, but so I was at Mangoes, and I, you know, I'm eating a pizza at the bar, and I don't know how it happened, but I, I was challenged by the bar staff to make sea lion noises, and I, they gave me a free drink because I could impersonate it. Turns out everybody works at Mystic Sea Aquarium, so it's like they knew I was onto something. It's I have a great story from every pizzeria. As Can we hear tell. your sea lion yeah, noise? You got to hear it. Oh God! All right. Well, no, I actually learned a new sea lion noise, but oh. I'll do the one I would usually yeah. do. Yeah. Okay. It was uh, let's see. Like that. But wow. they like told me that a sea lions actually do this. <sighs> like like a grr noise. So wow, you just now you guys know my secret us. talent. I mean, we are learning so many things on Seasons season today. every last Thursday of the month. <laughs> Come for the pizza stay for the sea lions. Call in with your favorite animal noises. You just never know what you might hear on a live episode of Seasoned. That is what makes it fun. You're listening to our roundup of favorite moments from Seasoned Live, our last Thursday of the month shows. Later in the hour, your picks for great takeout in the state from our conversation with Leanne Griffin, a reporter on the food beat for Hearst Connecticut Media. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Coming up after the break, I really enjoy talking about beer and breweries with Tyler Jones, a.k.a. the Lord of the Liquid at Black Hog Brewing. That's <laughs> some of my favorite beers there. We'll share some of our conversation next, as well as some grilling and smoking tips from barbecue masters Christian Stevenson and the one and only Myron Mixon. This is Seasoned. We'll be right back. Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. Seasoned is one year old in August, so we're taking a look back at some of our favorite moments from our live shows. You know, the last Thursday of every month, we spend the hour with an expert guest and open up the phone lines so you can drop your foodie wisdom on us. It's not just food wisdom we get from the live shows. In February, Tyler Jones of Black Hog Brewing in Oxford and Lady Lager herself, Aliza Bowens Mercado of Rhythm Brewing in New Haven, joined us to talk about one of my favorite things ever, Connecticut beer. We were psyched also when Jeff Stopper, a biologist and professor at Sacred Heart University, called in to share information about the university's brewing science program. Yeah, so I am, I'm a longtime home brewer. I'm a professor at Sacred Heart University in biology, and I'm also the director of our new brewing science program at Sacred Heart. And I thought your listeners might be interested to hear a little bit about that program. This sounds incredible. Like I said, big time science show. That's what we've got right now. Yeah, and I love that yes. you started out talking to Tyler about um, you know, it being an art and a science, because um, I really believe that. I mean, we teach the science, but to me, the science is just kind of the tools and the parameters within you, which you have to work in order to create something beautiful, right? So just to say a little bit about our program, oh, and first, I wanted to say hi to my friends, Lady Lager and Lord of the Liquid. Hey, Tyler. Good to see you, Jeff. Hi, Elisa. Happy birthday, Elisa. There you go. Everyone has to have um, a cool nickname. Wine's mine only plum. That's terrible. I, I don't even have one. <laughs> Professor Hop. That's a good one. I'll, I'll take it. 
So uh, our program, it's a one-year program. You learn about the business of brewing. You learn about the science. Um, you learn a bunch of recipes. You get to do an internship at a local brewery. You know, we can work outside of the state, too, if we pull people in from outside the state. Uh, we have an intern working with Tyler right now at Black Hog, and we have an intern working yeah. with Lisa Rhythm. Merle, Merle's actually here today. He just was able to see a kettle sour going on, and he's actually cleaning a tank right now. So we're doing great. How about that? Well, Jeff, this is an amazing program. People should definitely check this out. Where can they find more information on this program at? Yeah, you can find it uh, at sacredheart.edu slash brewing science. I love it. I also wanted to mention that, you know, I've worked with Elisa on this committee where we're trying to fund uh, an endowed scholarship for African-American brewers to come to our program. Very cool. um, and you can find more info about that at sacredheart.edu slash blackbrewers. Jeff, thank you very much for calling in and giving us that information. We really appreciate that. I love that there's programs like that out there. That's amazing. And honestly, Tyler, to be involved in that, who would have thought that's where we're at now? I just never would have thought, you know, back in the day when you would drink the old Miller Lite or whatever, that now, I mean, there's a program at a college that with, with interns. That's incredible. For sure. I mean, like, I, I went to brewing school in 2006. So, you know, like, I was graduated University of New Hampshire Chemical Engineering. And then I wanted to get into the beer world and I just started researching all of the websites out there and seeing like all of these people that have like brewing education from at that point, the two places in the country were uh, UC Davis or Siebel. So I like did some research. I ended up going out to UC Davis and got my master brew certificate out from them. Wow. But since then it has exploded and there's so many, there's now four year degrees in brewing science. And then places like Sacred Heart is able to have, this really great intensive program that is able, you're able to learn the brewing science behind the scenes and still work your day job if you want to follow your dream and become a brewer. So it's just uh, the brewing education kind of has exploded along with the brewing craze. You know, I don't want to call it a craze. The brewing, like the brewing experience, the people that are making great beer. And I mean, that's something where it's, I mean, there was a big pop in the 90s where a lot of people were like, they saw that Sierra Nevada, they were like making like beer and like, like, oh, I can make beer. I remember Magic Hat being like a big thing. Like that yeah, was a Magic big deal. Hat, you yeah. know, there was all these breweries Saranac. that opened up and there was like this big pop of like breweries. But there were so many of those people who focused on trying to make widgets to make money right. versus making quality beer. Right, right. You know, so like I feel like that's why that first pop of like the craft brewing industry like really fizzled. But yeah. now this next, this next, like what we're in right now, everyone who has been opening new breweries over the last six, seven, eight, nine years at this point, they're really focused on the quality of the liquid. And I mean, that's the number one focus. I think of every brewer right now, it should be make the best quality liquid you possibly can. 100%. And, and it'll sell itself. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's what it really comes down to. And there's some great beers in our state. Tyler, I think you said there's a hundred and how many brewers now? A hundred and 125. I, think? I don't know. I have, to, I have to talk to the, the CT Brewers Guild. Did they get the exact number? I know there was, there was 12 or 14 or so in planning as of last year that I don't know if wow. they've opened yet, but yeah. We're 120, 125-ish right now. Unbelievable. 120-some brewers in our state. And we can even talk about some of the women you know making great beer in the state. I'll start that off. Uh, Joy Braddock from Hog River Brewing in Hartford and Christina Sire of Brewery... Legitimus. 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 There we go. Yeah. I, don't, I couldn't get it out. But uh, in New, New right. Hartford, we see you, which is pretty, pretty cool. We're excited. Uh, let's talk to uh, Lisa here. She's in Middletown. Lisa, how are you? Welcome to Seasoned. Hey, I just wanted to echo the caller who called in about Forest City in Middletown. They're amazing. And my wife in particular loves their Stargazer IPA. And 
Um, their fresh blend cider is so good, I can't drink any other ciders anymore. Oh, they man. Spoiled, they spoiled me for ciders. Thank you for the tip. That's incredible. Tyler, it sounds like we got to jump on the board here, man. Yeah, I mean, Stargazer, I mean, they're making some good stuff for sure. Cider-wise, I didn't I didn't know that 4C was making cider. I mean, the cider I drink mostly is all from uh, my hometown of Wallingford. You get the Connected Cider Company there that's making some really great cider. Apparently, I had to go try 4C because I haven't tried any, any of their liquid yet, which I'm like, super excited to try. Mike from Somers, go ahead. Hey, thanks for having me on. I just want to shout out uh, my favorite brewery in East Windsor, which is Problem Solved Brewing Company. Okay. Uh, they're just a great bunch of guys there. I like them because they always have a wide variety of stuff on. You know, we were talking about, like, the, you know, the IPA train earlier. You know, they certainly do have their IPAs, but they have a great variety of sours. Um, right now they got a black lager on. That's, like, my favorite beer they've ever made. I just love that place. You kept the incredible recommendations coming in January's call-in show. You may remember it was the height of takeout season. Trusted food reporter Leanne Griffin was our guest. We celebrated lots of mom-and-pop shops pivoting to takeout curbside and delivery during the pandemic. Let's hear some of that show. Leanne, what was one of your go-to takeout spots during this whole pandemic? I really like, there's a there's a Szechuan place in Vernon called Szechuan Pepper. And so mm. was kind of looking for exciting, hot, spicy food. And so they have, someone mentioned hot oil dumplings. I think it was um, oh. Mama Chow. They have a um, wontons and red chili oil that I go crazy for. Come on. Mm. I love those. And then nearby is my favorite Indian place, which is Utsav, also in Vernon. I think a lot of people were going for comfort food because you're home. Mm -hmm. There was no health food for (laughs) several months. (laughs) Baking bread and and, and kind of taking solace in the best food around you. Once I discovered Parkville Market in Hartford, which now has about 20 different vendors under one roof, it's this brand new food hall. You'd go and you'd kind of get something from every little space. Mm. You'd have a a Jamaican place, a Puerto Rican spot a hot chicken spot and so i kind of go and make myself a little buffet from different That's the way to do it, it. Spots. yeah and then one place i loved when i was based in hartford was el pollo guapo which is kind of a spanish style rotisserie chicken place and they have three different locations hartford weathersfield and glastonbury and that was our go-to lunch spot at a the handsome current chicken camp. That sounds delicious. You would, yeah, exactly. And so <laughs> we have phenomenal marinated rotisserie chicken and all kinds of sides of the yellow rice, Brussels sprouts. They do salads. They do rice bowls. They do empanadas. They do desserts. You know, when you said handsome chicken, my saw, I wasn't sure if you just give me a new nickname. Well, that might be your new <laughs> stage name. You're listening to Seasoned with the handsome chicken That's... and me. <laughs> hey, we've got Sherry calling from New Fairfield. Sherry. Well, I'm so thrilled you're doing this because I'm afraid we're going to lose some of the small places. Yeah. And there's a there's a sleeper place that's been around for a little while. It's called Biagio's, and it's right off the Merritt Parkway at the Sikorsky um, Airport exit, and they make the most fantastic foods. They're Italian mostly. It's a young chef. He's so fun. You get the best service. Biagio's in Stratford. we got to check it out. Thanks, Sherry. Thanks for doing this. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Hang on, Leanne. I think we have a caller, yes? We do. As a matter of fact, we've got Steve from Cromwell. Steve, how are you? Hey, doing great today. How are you guys? Fantastic. What restaurant shout-out you got for us? Uh, I'm going to shout-out Carbone's Prime in Rocky Hill, Connecticut. So they uh, not only have great food, but uh, they figured out indoors and their takeout uh, as well. So they've uh, done a great job getting us through the pandemic. So shout out to Carbone's Prime. And that's uh, Chef Xavier Santiago, I believe, correct? I don't know. <laughs> yes, yes, that is him. Yeah, that's him, for sure. Hey, we appreciate it, Steve. Thank you. Make sure you guys check out Carbone Carbone's. Prime if you haven't yet, for sure. I think we have another caller. 
Manisal, have you ever heard of a place called Wawa Kitchen? Wawa Kitchen? Yeah. I have not, but I like the sound of it. Jordan's going to tell us all about it. <laughs> oh, my God. It's the cutest little Chinese place. It's tucked behind the old movie theater in Berlin off of Route 9. Oh, fun. Oh. Literally everything I've had from there is perfect. They make the best dumplings, the best chicken, and they have a unique dish that I've never seen anywhere else. It's the fried wontons and garlic sauce. What? And so if you've ever- <laughs> okay, hold on. Oh, my God. <laughs> if you've ever had Jake Timothy's like Dirty Wings, wow. it's essentially wa- dirty wontons. Oh my god, it's so good. Shout out to Wawa Kitchen in Berlin. I'm familiar with the area because I went to Wesleyan, so we you know used to pop, well. pop in and out of Berlin. Jordan, you gave us something we definitely got to check out. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, Leanne, you ever heard of that yeah, I'm place? putting that on my list. <laughs> yeah, I mean, are you kidding no, me? No, I've never heard of it, but now I think I need to go. I mean, that sounds amazing. And I also think, we, we do have a caller, but I also think in the pandemic when we were trying to figure out where we're going to eat, we uncovered places we wouldn't have normally gone to. Good point. Which, like trying new things, yeah. places you would see on the corner. Like, ah, I've never been there. And I've been there, and now suddenly I love this Peruvian spot. Dave in New Britain has got a great option for us, too. Dave? Uh, first time. Great to be here. Hey, thanks for joining Welcome. us. <laughs> thanks. My place is called Bird Code on Park Road in West Hartford. They have the best Nashville hot chicken oh. ever. <laughs> it's so good. You have to check it out. Hey, and for those who don't know, Nashville hot chicken is exactly Honey, what child. it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, you're talking <laughs> just lights you up to where you're, you start having weird emotions. You start seeing yes. things, hallucinating about the food. Leanne, you ever had uh, Nashville <laughs> hot chicken? Yes, and I love Bird Code. Oh, I, I was there a little before Christmas, and I actually really liked the hot chicken place at Parkville Market, Foul Play. I'm more of a like medium at most kind of person, but it is it's addictive, and I'm actually looking to have some soon. <laughs> wow, that's a great idea. And Marnie is checking in with us down in Westport. Hey, Marnie, welcome to the season. How are you? Hi, good thing. Thanks so much for this awesome topic for today because I think it's so important for everybody to get new ideas for takeout. Absolutely. I never did before the pandemic, and now it just totally saves me from you know culinary boredom and cooking myself. So my kids also thank you. <laughs> <laughs> So, Marnie, so what are some of your favorite places that you want to shout out? I love the lobster rolls from Matchburger Lobster. Of course. Obviously, that store is amazing. And then I love Bonda in Fairfield in Greenfield Hills section. It's owned by a local chef owner, and their fried chicken is legendary. People, like, line up for it at the farmer's market and then order it from the restaurant. It's so good, and it even travels really well. Um, and I also love their chicken laksa and their grilled romaine salad. It sounds sim- super simple, but this, they have this yummy caper vinaigrette that is another thing to die for. Love Mar- it. Marnie, are you secretly living in uh, Chef's <laughs> Kitchen over there? You seem to know the ingredients quite well. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Thanks, Marnie. Thanks, Marn. If you're just joining us, this is Seasoned, and we're listening back to highlights from past live shows. Now for a highlight you can really put to good use at this very moment. Christian Stevenson, a.k.a. DJ Barbecue. He helped us kick off summer with a live show devoted to grilling. We answered your burning questions about everything from how to set up a grill to when to season the meat. Here's Mary from Stamford. Hey, guys. I love the show. I look forward to Thursdays at 3 o'clock. Um, hey, we I love you. Thank you. <laughs> I was wondering, do you, should you season the chopped meat before you make the burger? No, it's a great question. And then I know a lot of people do that. You want to let the beef and the fat do the talking and then just hit it at the end. So salt, pepper, maybe a little bit of onion granules, garlic granules, uh, maybe a dash of cayenne. You add a bit of flavor. But really, a burger just should be seasoned at the end. Sorry, before the cook. 
but not when you're mixing it. You don't want to mix the, the seasoning in the meat. You just want to, you know, hit it, dust it with that cracked pepper and salt. But sometimes to, to give it a bit more of a lift, I'll add a bit of onion granules and garlic granules. The same kind of stuff you put into like maybe like a, a barbecue rub, like an all-purpose, just minus the, the paprika and the brown sugar. You just sprinkle it on? So yeah, just, spr just sprinkle it on the burger right before you cook it. Just salt and pepper, but okay. you can just add a little bit of the other stuff to give it more um, more flavor, more tang, you know, more kind of, mm. uh, but here's a really good tip for grilling a steak. Uh, I don't put pepper on my steak before I cook it. That's where I was I going. I just hit it with salt. Yeah, a plum nose, man. Pepper can go acrid, and when you're hitting that steak with the right heat to get that crust, uh, pepper can go bitter. Pepper so will burn. So what pepper I do is burn. I just hit it, I hit it with a flake salt. Yeah, it can burn. Peppers burn. You probably remember that flavor as a kid because, you, mm -hmm. you, you know, your family would just put pepper on steaks and you were like, I like it, but there's a bit of a bitterness to it. Well, try it without. So just put the pepper at the end because your steak's still resting. I mean, I, I rest my steaks for half the amount of time I cook them for sometimes, Absolutely. especially if they're really big. So the juices go back in. But that's when I hit it with the cracked pepper and just give it a good dusting and then a little bit more salt in the end when, after you slice it. And that is the perfect way to cook. But a great question. Great yeah, question. I, I agree with DJ Barbecue for the most part on everything there. With the burgers, minus all, what I like to do, though, is I finish them with the black pepper. I don't cook them with black pepper on there. Mm. I think you can really get Smart. those great flavors in that burger. If you focus on getting good cuts of meat, getting great fat content in there, you don't need to put a bunch of stuff in there. Salt it, put it on the grill, nice high heat, get a good sear on the outside, finish it with black pepper. It's outstanding. But there's no right or wrong. It's food. I yeah. have to be honest. I'm a purist when it comes to a burger. I don't want bells and whistles. I don't want fancy condiment. I want salt yeah. and apparently not pepper until after it's off when the it's heat. Done. Right. And I, do, I will take a toasted bun. Always. Always a toasted bun, minus all. Always. <laughs> and we learn quite a bit from home cooks who call in. A tip from Paul in Bristol blew our minds. And Paul, this works fantastic, by the way. I've already tried it this summer. It's amazing. We're coming up on grilling season, which is also tomato season. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I love to do with virtually any steak that I'm cooking on the grill is to just take the fresh steak, salt, and sorry I put pepper on it before I cook it, but salt, pepper, <laughs> salt, <laughs> and then cover that steak on both sides with some nice thick, like half-inch thick slices of fresh tomato. Wrap it in some film and throw it in the freezer again for just 20 to 30 minutes. And it's not freeze the meat, but it freezes and breaks down the tomato. There's so much oh, science yeah. going on right now. It yes. It helps to break down the meat before you cook it. And it also helps to bring that flavor and that salty flavor into the meat. And I'll tell you, it's as good as any marinade. And it's, you know, when it's tomato season, you just can't beat it. Oh, my God. So okay. Good. Paul, this is fantastic. I'm stealing your idea. I'm going to give it, you credit for it. It's going to be Paul from Bristol Steak. This is a fan. Here's what happens. Tomatoes, when they get cold, the cell walls break. When the cell walls break, the natural juices come out of them, right? So as long as you have a nice garden-grown tomato, it's not a GMO tomato, because GMO tomatoes you buy exactly. from the store are actually injected with specific salmon genes, so the cell walls won't break because they, people put them in the refrigerator. Mm -hmm. But that natural acid, that tomato starts to break down that steak. Christian, have you ever heard of this? This is fantastic. I'm totally this doing so this. I have not heard of it. And I've been I've been frantically writing down notes. So I know. From Bristol, I'm off to the superhero store to buy you a cape because you should be flying around now with that piece of advice. I love it. Thank That's you, amazing. sir. <laughs> Paul, you might win yeah. caller of the day. That was awesome. Let's stick with our cooking with fire theme for a few more minutes and listen back to some of our conversation with a legendary pitmaster, 
Myron Mixon. Oh, the barbecue lifestyle is uh, it's people that like being in the outdoors, but you got a lot of people that like to do a lot of things from whether it's hiking or just being outside sitting, but it's also about you like to be around your friends and family. And if you go back and you look generations, and this really started being a social thing for us families, maybe in the 50s, 40s, somewhere after maybe World War II, where people started getting the charcoal grills and everybody wanted to go outside and grill. And it's just really gone forward, gone forward, gone forward. And you've seen a big, in the last 10 years, 15 years, really, mm-hmm. probably a big revitalization of people realizing it's fun to be outside. Yeah. You got a pool and somebody, there's a group out there, somebody's on a grill somewhere. Yeah, 100%. You know, For if sure. you load up and you go to a state park, and most of the time they're taking a grill or using one of the park grills, and, and that's part of the barbecue lifestyle. It's just a very social food. Probably a the most social food or food genre over any of them. You know, I love Italian. I love all these others. But barbecuing, grilling, smoking meats outside, that is about as social as it gets. Yeah. Sitting around the fire, having a cocktail, cooking a large piece of meat. That's what right. I like. That sounds like fun to me. Yeah, I mean, if you fire off a grill, if you live in a subdivision... I guarantee you, whether you invited anybody over or not, you fire your grill <laughs> off, you're going to have you somebody from the neighborhood come over and hang That's out until right. you, you get it ready. That's right. Our monthly call-in shows are a chance for us to help get you know you ready to cook for whatever holiday you have coming up. So before we head to break, a quick tribute. I asked my, my buddy, Chef Brian Kaywork, a fellow graduate of the Culinary Institute of America, to join us for our Thanksgiving call-in show. Chef Brian wasn't just an alumni, he is also an instructor at CIA, or was. Brian died unexpectedly of a heart attack. Chef Brian loved teaching, he loved food, he loved spending time with students. When Chef Brian talks about his Thanksgiving dinner, it really comes out, you can see how much he loves food, how much he gets into it, how much he enjoys sharing it with his family and um, the world. We definitely lost a good one, we lost Chef Brian K. Work. So Chef, there'll always be a seat at our table for you. You want to have all these sides on the table, but you get like into that meal and you realize, okay, I've committed to something here. Like there's a lot of food on the table. (laughs) Over the years, we've streamlined a little bit at home. Sometimes we're cooking for, for just three and other times we're entertaining and we have a lot more people there, but I've opted for kind of quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. I love a couple different versions of dressing. Although I have to admit, we do call it stuffing. I'm, 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 oh, I will have to we translate that for my wife. <laughs> I, I wanted to say stuffing again. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Oh my God. Um, anyway, we do a couple of different versions of that. And sometimes we have the roasted Brussels sprouts with apples and it's been deglazed with like Calvados and has pecans in it. Sometimes it's spaghetti squash. We pretty much always regularly have, I have a 10 year old, so having potato puree or mashed potatoes yeah, pretty much yeah. needs to be there. Yeah. But we've done potato gratin too. It bounces around. You know, it's a, a lot of variety for us. That's uh, maybe the ADD chef in me that just kind of <laughs> wants to play all the time. You know, well, I want, you know Thanksgiving what? is kind of the, the chef's holiday, you right? know, so you yeah. get a chance to cook. I, I, honestly, the truth is um, in restaurants, we do a thing called family meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're cooking something that's soulful and kind of casual and, and not too demanding, but it hits the spot. Right. Thanksgiving, it feels like that for me. And we like to have a little bit of fun with it. And it's more the meaning of the day for us than it is the, the showcase of food. That was the voice of Brian Kaywork. 
we were lucky enough to talk with him about Thanksgiving last November. We're going to take that short break now. We're revisiting moments from our live shows that made us think or smile or that we just plain enjoyed. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. After the break, more of our favorite moments from the past live call-in shows. You're listening to Seasoned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Seasoned. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. We are reminiscing about our favorite live shows. The last Thursday of every month, we get an expert on Zoom, open the phone lines, and ask you what local farms, breweries, takeout, pizza joints, and ice cream shops you're really excited about. Everybody who listens to Season knows how much we have a soft spot for local farmers. All of those restaurants we love so much, the fancy ones, the not-so-fancy ones, guess what? If their food is fresh, especially delicious and vibrant-looking, Chances are they've partnered up with a local farm who supplies the greens, the grains, the fruit, the veggies, the meat, the eggs. You name it, they supply it. And as hungry locavores, we support it. Patty Pop of Sport Hill Farm in Easton is one local farmer we feel lucky to know. She helped us bring in spring on our live show at the end of March. Let's listen back to some of it. We'll start with some of our thoughts on Connecticut farms and slide into our conversation about the importance of seasonality in farming and cooking. And as a bonus... Matt Storch, one of the absolute best chefs in Connecticut, made a surprise appearance. If I'm being honest, one of the things that made me fall in love with the state of Connecticut, yeah. it was the farms. Like, I saw dairy farms. I saw arboretums. I saw apple. I saw all of it. And I was like, oh, this could happen. This we, city girl can make a life out here. We have some amazing farms out here. And I was, years ago, I hosted a show where that's what we did. We went to these local farms. And that's where I learned about how many incredible ingredients we have just here in our right. state. We really can eat locally Absolutely. because there are local farms everywhere. And I even count getting local oysters. That's farming. That's absolutely right. Kelp. You kelp. want kelp? We can get sea kelp. We had sugar kelp off the coast of Westport, off the coast of Norwalk. Wow. How about that? They're very fancy in Westport. Well, we got a question. We got a caller calling in, Patty. You mind taking a call with us? Come on on. <laughs> Let's do it. We've got Matt from Fairfield. Matt, what you got for the show today? Hey, it's Matt Storch. How you guys doing? Hey, Matt. How, about that? Chef, how are you? <laughs> Took me off guard there, Chef. Nice to have you. I know, you. totally. What's, What's up, Matt? Farmer in the world. <laughs> she is fantastic. We love having Patty on here and talking all about great food. Matt, you're talking about seasonality. Talk about how important that is for a chef, especially to have a great local <laughs> well, farmer to work with. Well, that's the key. I mean, Patty has done so much for us and just the general public in respects of showing people when actually things grow. In this area. So I was hoping she would share a little bit about her particular pet peeves on people wanting corn at all times. (laughs) Patty, tell us about seasonality on vegetables. Seasonality is important. You know, spring means green. We're lightening up. We're coming out of winter where we kind of cooked and baked and we want rich foods. And now bathing suit season's coming around the corner. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking So now about. it's time to lighten up. So you want to eat greens. You want to get spinaches. And it helps boost your body, too, as well as helping you lose some weight. And then you roll into summertime. And when you really think about it, summer, what, it gets hot mm-hmm. and humid. And people don't want to cook. You want to grill. But everything that's available can be eaten raw. You got your field tomatoes. You have your cucumbers. You have your zucchini. You know, most of the stuff that comes in the summer is something that's quick and easy. 
and then we roll into the fall and into the winter where it's back to the greens. You can still grow some greens, but it brings us all those winter squashes, squashes and pumpkins right. and yeah. stuff that you want to cook and make the house warm by baking and make your soul warm by eating soups and everything. So it does make sense what nature gives us here in Connecticut. I was just going to say, Mother Nature really is perfect. She knows what she's doing. Mm -hmm. Before we go any further, I just have to introduce Matt Storch. Are you still there, Matt? I'm here. <laughs> Matt's, Matt's restaurant has outlived certainly my marriage. He's outlived a lot of stuff. Uh, he's a chef supreme. He's a hometown boy, a dear friend of the show, a dear friend of mine. He is a Connecticut icon. Matt Storch, oh. Match Burger Lobster in Westport, Match in Sono. Gets I've lots never... of his vegetables from Patty. He gets lots he of his vegetables. He makes one of the best, yeah, one of the best, if not the best burger I've ever had in my entire life. Uh, and he only uses tomatoes when they're in season. Hey, there we go. That's a big winner. <laughs> Chef, great to hear your voice, man. We look forward to seeing you down the road. Love you all. Have there. a great day. Let's round out our live show highlights with our most popular topic to date. And honestly, we couldn't get to all the calls we had. Not enough time. We need a two-hour show on ice cream. Let's hear some of that show and those recommendations. Eliza Florian of Grassroots Ice Cream in Granby was our guest. Every region in the United States has a base that they prefer. And I happen to live in Connecticut, which is high fat. They want this really warm mouthfeel. Um, they don't want that icy cold ice cream. They want it to be buttery and full of good old New England cream. And, you know, our summer foods are really interesting compared to other regions of the country. We love, what do we love? Thick New England cream chowder. We love right. buttered lobster rolls and we love full, full fat ice cream, like 16, 18, sometimes 20% some of the shops make. Wow. So when you're talking about ice cream, you always have to say regionally what the mouthfeel is people like. But here, if you don't have the full fat ice cream, you're just not in business. Yeah. I say it all the time. Food is more science than art. I think plating food can be artistic, but the actual making of the food is definitely more based in science. Yeah. And I've always loved science. Some of our listeners, you shouted out your favorite local ice cream spot on our social media. Arethusa, which happens to be mine, is pretty delicious. They have New Haven, Bantam, and West Hartford. Rob's in Glastonbury. Peaches and Cream in Litchfield. You know what? Sometimes you can't go wrong with the Mr. Softy that drives around Amagansett and East Hampton. Absolutely. Doing God's work. That was the anthem of my youth. Getting skinned yeah. knees, riding my bike until I was super sweaty, and then hearing the ice cream truck and running to the stoop to get some pocket change. Lindsay Victoria actually shouted me out on Instagram and wanted us to know that Arethusa was just voted uh, best ice cream by food and wine in Connecticut, which I thought was pretty interesting. Look at us. And also the ice box in Brooklyn, Connecticut. Their hashtag is hashtag no scoop till Brooklyn. Shout out to the Beastie Boys. <laughs> Nicely done. Nicely done. I love nice. it. Our board is lighting up because people hey. have things to say. Thanks for calling Seasons. Tell us about your ice cream experience. Hi, Seasons. This is Sean. Thanks for taking my call. I um, am a ice cream connoisseur, and I'm driving on 91 through Connecticut, and I can't believe I'm listening to an hour of ice cream. <laughs> <laughs> We're here to serve the people. I stopped drinking years and years ago, and the way I did it was on ice cream. Harold's in Northampton, Massachusetts has chocolate pudding ice cream to Ooh. die for. I bet the butterfat content is, I have no idea, but it's <laughs> like it's 40%. <laughs> 
Wow. It is absolutely amazing. You know, if you like chocolate, it's the way to go. Uh, We have another caller. Thanks for calling Season, Michelle. Thanks for doing this story because I'm just dying for ice cream right now. (laughs) (laughs) You and me both. As long as it's not mint, I'll be happy. Yeah, I'm not a big mint fan either. I'm a coffee <laughs> coffee base. But we have this great farm up in Voluntown called Buttonwood. They do that creamy, fat, ice cream, awesome farm base ice cream. But they also do uh, sunflowers. So you go get your ice cream and then you go out to the sunflowers. And they do do an ice cream of sunflowers. Oh, wow. And it's delicious. It's so, so good. Marisol and I want to thank every single one of you who have listened and embraced Season this year. And a very special thanks to those of you who call in every month to make those live shows so much fun. We want to keep learning from you, too, and not just on the call-in shows. You can drop us a line anytime. Just email us, seasoned at ctpublic.org. You can send feedback on the show or tell us about a farmer or a chef you think we should know about. You're part of this community of food lovers we're building, and we want to make our second year even better than our first. I'm Marisol Castro. And I'm Chef Plum. One more note of thanks. Producer Carmen Baskoff's friendly voice is the first one you hear when you call into the live show. So, Carmen, thank you for making sure that our listeners get through. Season is produced by Robin Doyanagan and Katie Talarski. Thanks for listening, everybody, and for calling and sharing your thoughts with us every month. See you next week.